Amen. Good morning, CWC. How are we feeling this morning? How many of you are glad to be here this morning? Amen. How many of you are not that glad to be here this morning? Don't, don't raise your hand. Just, just glare at the person who brought you here. All right. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is John Schaefer, and I am not your good-looking pastor. I know probably some of you are probably like, oh, what happened to Pastor Keith? He is looking really rough this morning. Well, I am not Pastor Keith. I am John Schaefer, and, and unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending how you look at it, depending on how the message goes today, um, <laughs> he has gotten a little under the weather, and he reached out to me uh, Thursday to see if I'd be able to come up, and man, I love you guys so much, and I'm, I, was, I was just anything, whatever I can do, Pastor Keith, whatever I can do, and so I texted him later on that day. I said, man, I said, this might be a really great illustration for this miracle series that you're doing, waiting to see if God will miraculously heal you, so um, we're excited about that. We're praying for uh, Pastor Keith. Pastor Keith, we're praying for you. I, I, I'd bet dollars to donuts. He's watching online. Let's let him hear our appreciation to him this morning. And I'm geeked to be here this morning because we are talking about miracles this morning. Miracles in the modern. And you may not have known it when you came in here today, but I'm going to clue you in. You are at least witnessing one, maybe two, many miracles happening right now before your eyes. The first one is this. You may have noticed that my smoking hot wife is not with me today. So the fact that I was able to get myself ready on my own this morning is a miracle. Amen. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and favor from the Lord. And I maximize that favor as often as I can because she takes really, really good care of me. The second mini miracle is this. About an hour and a half ago, the notes for the message that I felt like God put on my heart for you this morning disappeared from my iPad. I mean, gone. iCloud ain't seen them. Siri hasn't seen them. Alexa doesn't know where they are. Nobody knows where the notes are, but how many of you know that God knows where the notes are because he is the note. He is the word of God. His Holy Spirit is alive in each and every one of us, and so I'm believing that God is going to do a miracle this morning and help me not look like a fool, but if I do look like a fool, use it for the saving of many lives. Amen? Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 9. I uh, was checking out, I uh, was uh, following the, the, the sermon from last week, and your pastor said something incredibly poignant that stuck with me. It resonated with me. He said that it was a word that God dropped in his heart, and the way it resonated with me, I knew uh, that it was. And, and last week, he said uh, this. He said, tragedy has the ability to bring about reality. Tragedy has the ability to bring about reality. Now, many of us, especially in our comfort-driven uh, 
self-appeasement-laden, 21st century Western American culture, this idea of tragedy, this idea of difficulty, this idea of pain is something that 99.9% that .9 of the time when it comes, we run from it. We, we look at our situations and we say, uh, man, this is negative. I, I don't want any part of it. I, I, I don't want to be near this thing. But when we understand how God works, when we understand how great and good God is, the Bible says, and many of you have probably quoted this verse over your life, Romans 8, 28, for God works all things together for the, of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, and that's something that we have to allow our brains to be reframed with, right? We have to have a renewing of our mind because if the Bible says that everything that's happening in my life, good, bad, ugly, everything in between, if God is working all of those things together for my good, I am now brought to a place where I have to choose one of two directions. Either I'm going to trust my feelings or I'm going to trust my God. Because God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. Jesus said it this way in John 16, 33, one of my favorite verses of the scripture. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But Jesus doesn't end it there. He says, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. So there is a reality that difficulties and hardships exist, but as your pastor so aptly stated last week, that tragedy, this negative, these horrible things that happen in our lives has the ability to bring about reality. And I love just the general thought of that because, one, it shows how big and good and awesome my God is, that he can take the worst thing on my worst day that ever happened to me, turn it around for my good, but not only do that, he gives me a greater glimpse of reality. He is reality. And the enemy would love to use our difficulties and hard times and hardships to fog or mask the reality that is not just the goodness of God, but a God who is infinitely and inherently good. And so Jesus, when he comes into this fallen world, he comes on a mission to seek and to save that which is lost. And he does it in a way that shows us that tragedy, the worst possible things, has an ability to bring about reality in our lives. And that's a struggle for us, not just because we're comfort-driven, but because here in America, we do everything that we can to escape reality on a regular basis. Everything that we can. We put stuff in our veins, we put, we put stuff in our eyes, we put stuff in our ears, you, you following me? Everything that we can do to detach from the negativity that is reality, and it's not that God wants us living or wallowing in the negativity that is our life, but he wants us to disconnect from that and attach to him in the midst of those situations so that we can see the goodness that he has for our lives in this fallen age. And so a question came to my mind as I was desperately scrambling to try to figure out what the heck I was going to say. Why is it 
do we instantaneously trend towards the negative when something bad happens? Right? Now, there might be some of you faith-filled, super prayer warriors floating three inches above the ground. And like, like, can, can, can I just be real and candid? You're probably the annoying person in your family at work that when all heck is breaking loose, you're like, oh, God's in control, and you just want to just shut up. That's what you want to say. Because naturally, most of us, we're not there. Yours truly included. But there is this truth that when negativity comes and tragedy happens, we always trend towards the negative. And the question is this, why does that happen? I believe there's two answers. The first one is this, we're broken. We are broken people. We are flawed. We are challenged. We are incomplete. We are insufficient for the task. Aren't you glad that he is all sufficiency? But we're broken. Something is wrong in us that needs to be fixed. Because no matter what the circumstance or situation is that you're in, it does not determine the goodness of God. And if you're willing to, Open yourself up to faith and be like that super prayer warrior person and and say, not only am I not going to allow my circumstances to determine and dictate the goodness of my God, I'm actually going to go one step further and allow the goodness of my God to determine and dictate the difficulty of my circumstances. But we trend towards the negative because we're broken. The second reason why I think that we do do that is this. Because we have a faulty and flawed view of God and our circumstances. We have a faulty and flawed view of God and our circumstances. I want you to think about that for a minute. Is it possible that the crap storm you're enduring right now or the crap storm that you just came out of, or the crap storm that is waiting around the corner on Monday morning for you at work, because you're in one of three positions, in a storm, coming out of a storm, or going into a storm. But is it possible that that storm exists, that that storm has been permitted and allowed to persist Not because God is mad at you, not because God is punishing you, not because God isn't there and doesn't care, but because God has a greater glory to be revealed in your life in the midst of that storm. Because I'm here to tell you something today, you will never know God as provider until you go through the storm of lack. You will never know God as he truly is healer, deliverer, restorer. If you never get sick, need saved, or need to be built back up in your life, and God will allow these things to happen. And here's it. God doesn't make them happen. And more often than not, even if Satan is pulling the strings behind it, you know who made it happen? Our first daddy, Adam. Adam yielded his authority to Satan, who is now the prince of the kingdom and the ruler of the air, right? Adam's sin, Adam's fall allowed this to happen. That's why Jesus had to come to be the second Adam. So Satan can pull the strings. 
But it's not God who's doing it. But I will guarantee you this. God is so good. God is so amazing. God is so loving that not only will he work in the midst of it, he saw it coming. He saw it coming and he knew that this would be the thing that he would not only use to bless you and make you better, but even more than that, the situation or situations that we face in our lives are used to bring greater glory to him. See, because I personally believe that we would experience more miracles if we had a better view of God. And the text that we're going to look at today, it is the historical account of Jesus healing a man born blind. The text that we're going to look at here in a moment is this. Jesus healed a man born blind so that the world could see him better. Jesus healed a man born blind so that the world could see him better. Because here's a, a, a little nugget that I live by. He helps me to process sometimes. You can write this down if you're a note taker. Your perception will determine your reception. Let me say it again. Your perception will determine your reception. How you perceive something will determine how you receive something. And if you see this thing coming at you, right, like, oh, man, I don't know how I'm going to get through work today. Man, I've got this presentation. I've got all of these things. Or, oh, I don't know how I'm going to take care of the kids. I've got all these bills to pay. You could look at that and say, oh, here comes a wave, and it's just going to crash over me and destroy me. Or you could see it as a challenge. It's like, here comes a wave. I'm getting ready to surf. But your perception will determine your reception. If we perceive God faulty or flawed or insignificantly, then we will miss what he's doing in our lives. And so if you haven't gotten to John 9, get there real quick. But John chapter 9, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 7 and get out of your way. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. There we go. Come on. He exalteth me. John 9, verse 1 through 7. As he passed by, now the he here being Jesus. I'm reading from the ESV, so if it sounds weird to what you're reading or what might be on the screen, that's okay. It's all inspired. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So this is not a guy who had some illness come and he gradually lost his eyesight. This is not an older man who has a, a glaucoma has come and fogged his vision. This is not somebody that suffered an accident and, and, and had his eyesight lost. This is a man who from the first day he drew his first breath could not see anything. And we don't know how old the man is. We know that this man has parents that still live close enough by him, because if you go through the rest of this chapter, you see where this man, after this miracle happens in his life, is called uh, into to, to, to be tried, right? The religious authorities call him to court. They put him on the docket. He's got charges because he got healed. Religion doesn't like it when we get healed, because you know why? Religion can't explain healings. But we see that this man's parents are called in to testify against this guy. So not only is this a guy who was born blind, and because he's blind, he is relegated to the only position, the only occupation that somebody who was blind or disabled could have in the ancient world at that time. He is a beggar. He is a street beggar. 
and his parents live close enough by to come and turn state's evidence on him, but they are not close enough to him relationally to allow him to live in their house and allow him to not have to sit on the street begging because he's blind. Are you getting the picture? And so we see Jesus passing by. How many of you love the fact that Jesus is already always on the move? This is a move. Jesus is moving. The kingdom is moving. If you're not in step with the kingdom, if it feels like God has passed you by, I want to encourage you this morning to get some pep in your step and catch up because the kingdom of God advances forcefully and, the, and those take it by force. But Jesus is moving. And he's passing by and he sees. The, that word there it means he perceived, he knew. He didn't just glance at this guy, but there was something that caught Jesus' eye about this man. How many of you glad today that your deficiency is what catches Jesus' eye? See, some of us, we like to come in and get all dressed up and put our, our church hat on and our church clothes on and walk around in our self-made righteousness and let other people think how good we've gotten and how good we are and how we're not like all these nasty people. That doesn't attract God. God is attracted to your deficiencies. God is attracted to your disabilities. God is attracted to the, to the denigration in your life. Why? Because he's the only one that can fix it. I always tell people like this, if you don't feel you need a savior, then Jesus died for nothing. But he didn't die for nothing. He died to save a word, world full of broken people. So as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Verse number two, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Now, I love this because we're beginning to start to see the faulty perception that the disciples, and for that matter, Jews and, and just anybody with any religious bent in their life, the faulty perception that they have of God because of the uh, religion's inability to truly explain who God is. So they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now, I want you to catch this. Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? This man or his parents? Now, did you catch it? Did you catch the ridiculousness of how religion makes us stupid because religious focuses on systems and not on a savior? Who sinned that this man was born blind, this man or his parents? Can you tell me how? I believe in, in, in we're, we're born in total depravity. You know, we're all born sinners. Yada, I get all that. But there's no way that this man committed a bad act in the womb. There's just no way. So how on earth could he have sinned and then the judgment or the punishment from God on this man is that he's born blind? He's like, yeah, I saw how hard you kicked your mom in her belly. <laughs> Laying on her bladder all night long, can't get a good night's sleep, having to get up and pee all the time. Yep. Blindness. <laughs> see, and again, do, do you see how religion, we, we see God as a cosmic cop waiting behind the billboard to catch us speeding on the highway of life. Right? We never see him as the savior, as the protector who shows up when we're getting mugged or robbed, right? See, and they have this faulty perception of God. The disciples missed the point. 
And it just shows us how when we come into settings like this, it's really easy to try to get a three-step formula of how to get your breakthrough or how to live a good life or how to do this. But the reality of it is our power and our deliverance is not found in a system. It's not found in rules. It's found in a Savior who happens to be the ruler. Some of y'all catch that on the way home. They said, who sinned that this man was born blind. Verse number three, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned. So Jesus has already begun to starting to, to, to correct some things, right? You could easily argue that the disciples are just as blind as this man is. He says, it's not that this man sinned or his parents. Now we know for a fact that because they were born eventually, all of them have sinned because Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus begins to start reorienting and refocusing our idea and understanding of him in that it's not sin that makes bad things happen. How many of you know that God does not let bad things happen to good people? Because there's no such thing as a good person. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But even more than that. It's not your badness that makes bad things happen to you. Because I do see a lot of good people, oftentimes Christians. How many of you know that all hell broke loose in my life after I got saved? These last couple of years for my wife and I have been more hellacious than any prison time, any of the beatings and jumpings, being shot, watching my sister die in a crack house, seeing all of these things happen to me in my life. And that's not because I'm a bad person, but look what Jesus says here. He says, these things did not happen because they sinned or he sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in his life. I want to encourage you this morning, Christian, that the things that are going on in your life have nothing to do with how bad or how good you are, but God has something good and glorious to reveal in and through your life. God never gets glory as the one who calms the storm if he's never on a boat in a storm with his disciples. See, and that's the amazing thing about God. He may not pluck you out of the storm, but he will definitely be in the storm with you. He said, these things haven't happened because this was a bad guy or his parents were bad. These things happened so that God's glory could be displayed in his life. And look at what he says in verses 4 and 5. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day because night is coming when no one can work. Now watch this. This is the beautiful thing. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what is Jesus saying in a very indirect and cryptic way? I'll translate it for you. Jesus is saying, as long as I am here, there's work to do and I am here to work on you. As long as I am here, as long as I am present, there is the possibility for power to break through in your life. See, and that's why anytime you have an opportunity to come to it. Look, I, I tell people this. Uh, Pastor Keith was mentioning, I guess you guys just had a worship night. Was that last week? Yeah? How many of you were at the worship night? I have experienced God do more in my life in five minutes of worship than in 45 minutes of a sermon. And it's not because of a formula. It's because 
The Bible tells us in Psalm 22 that he inhabits or sits enthroned in the praises of his people. So when his people come together to worship and praise his holy name, there is a greater uh, experience. There's a greater acknowledgement of his presence there. And because his presence is there, work happens. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, as long as I'm around, as long as I'm in the midst, miracles can happen. Breakthrough can happen. Verse number six. And having said these things, Jesus spat on the ground. Now, I don't know the difference between a spit and a spat. Spat sounds nastier. So I don't believe that Jesus just gleated. I don't believe that Jesus was just saying what he had just said very passionately, like I am prone to do, and a little bit of spittle flew out of his mouth. I personally believe that Jesus went deep into his eternal bronchial tubes. He went down into the depths of his belly and went high into the sinus region, and he brought together a holy honking luger that gathered in his glorious mouth and then was projected and ejected with such force that it hit the ground. He said, (laughs) Now you see, That may sound or seem insignificant or a little bit crude, but let me tell you why that's important. Because the blind man is right there, and while his eyes don't work, he hears real good. And as he's standing there, or should I say, as Jesus is standing there in his midst, he hears Jesus saying these things, and he hears this... How many of you got a husband in the morning? You want to karate chop him in the neck? Come on. Be real. Be real. He's just being like Jesus, y'all. Pray for him. But Jesus brings it up, and he brings it out, and he spits on the ground. And see, this blind man is probably going nuts. Because it's probably not the first time he heard someone hawk up to spit in his presence. He's a beggar. He's a dirty person. He's an outcast person. He's the person that the good people walk by and spit on if they have enough saliva to spare. See, this is probably not the first time that this blind man heard someone hawk up to spit on him. But because of the one who was doing the spitting, it was going to be the last. And so Jesus honks it up. He spits it out of his mouth into the ground. And the Bible says he made mud with the saliva. Some translations say clay. And that's significant because if you know your Bible, you know that back in Genesis chapter 2, it tells us how God anthropomorphized hands and got his hands in the dirt, in the clay of the earth, and formed from the clay of the earth 
man and then breathe the breath of life into his nostrils. See, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is modeling that he is creator and he's spitting into the thing that man was created from because he's about to create the missing part in this man. So he spits. And it says that he made mud with the saliva. Then, now lucky you're at the first service. We're not too close to lunch. You might be able to forget the hawker sounds I made. But this might push you over the limit. Jesus took the mud. Now, I want, I want you to catch this. This is important. Because how many of you would like someone to put mud on you right now? Nobody? Maybe at a spa, you know, something a little facial, some cucumbers. Fabulous. A little seaweed wrap, you know? It's good. Mother Nature. Namaste. <laughs> Most of us probably wouldn't want mud put on us, on our clothes. Most of us don't even like mud on our shoes, especially if you're Pastor Keith. I would fight somebody if they got mud on them shoes. I would fight for them. I would, I would instantaneously turn into Joab protecting the honor of King David and say, let me unsheath my blade and take the head off of this dog. You don't dirty the J's. <laughs> See, most of us wouldn't want mud on us. All right, now show us hands. How many of you want spit on you? Right? All right, last question. Let's see if you pass. How many of you want spitty mud on you? And not just on you, but rubbed on you. And not just rubbed on you, but rubbed into your eyes. Because that's what the Bible says Jesus did. Jesus, hakapatui, licked up the mud, worked it together, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. You want to talk about adding insult to injury? Like, bro, for real? You're not just going to spit on me, but you're going to rub mud on me, and you're not just going to rub mud on me, but you're going to rub mud in the place of my greatest weakness, of my greatest shame, of my greatest failure, of my greatest heartbreak. See, Jesus wants to come to those places because he knows that mud in his hand on your dirty places makes those dirty places clean. Can somebody give him a praise? See, because here's the beautiful reality of it. And I want you to catch this because this is important when understanding miracles. One, the method matters less than the motive. How many of you remember Naaman? Right? Elisha told him, go dip in the Jordan. He's like, that dirty, stinking river? We got better rivers in Assyria. See, don't miss your miracle because you're messed up over the method. But here's the greatest truth, and I love this. Because you're like, dude, put spitty mud in a blind man's eyes. So, so not as he just blind now, but now he's got grainy, dirty, nasty. Like if I get an eyelash in my eye, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Let me be chopping some wood or something, and, and, and a flick of sawdust gets up in my eye. It's like shut it all down. But here's the beautiful thing. Because while most of us probably wouldn't sign up for spitty mud rubbed in our eyes, 
But Jesus was the one rubbing it. But before it ever touched the man, it touched Jesus first. Nothing gets to you without going through him first. Nothing. And so he says he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And then he said to him, go. What? Yes, yes, I see that hand. Um, Jesus, I was blind before you showed up here. And now I'm blind with spitty mud in my eyes. And you want me to get up and do what? Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. I'm going to have the worship team come up. So we get ready to close this thing down. So I want you to grasp what's happening here. Jesus, I'm blind. You just rubbed mud in my eyes, so now my eyes just don't work, but they're irritated as well. And now you want me to go to a place I may have never been, definitely a place I've never seen, and you want me to take my blind, muddy-eyed self and walk some distance. The pool of Siloam was not right around the corner from where this guy was. It was some distance away, and it wasn't a straight path. So you want me to go to this place and wash your nasty stuff out of my eyes? Yes. You say, well, why is that? important why is that significant because the man doesn't argue the man doesn't argue you say well why is that important because you know what there's a lot of times we miss the miracles and breakthroughs that God has for our lives because we want to argue about the method what do you mean you want me to do this what do you mean you want me to give this? What do you mean you want me to say this to this person? What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Faith requires obedience. Because faith without action is dead. And so I want you to see it now. This man, he's roaming through the streets of Jerusalem. You guys can begin playing. He's roaming through the streets of Jerusalem. He's blind, guys. His eyes are irritated with spit mud. And he's fumbling his way through places he's never, ever seen. Trying to get somewhere. Have you ever been there before? And the Bible says that he went. And that he washed. And when he washed, he came back seeing. And another question popped into my mind. How did he get there? He's blind, y'all. Like, if I not, if we not communicated that, we all understand he's blind. If I blinded you right now and rubbed spitty mud in your eyes right now, you might not make it to the parking lot. Unless. Unless somebody who saw you doing the best you could in faith grabbed you by the hand and said, 
What's up? Where are you going? What's going on? What's happening? What's happening? I'm trying to get to the pool. I'm trying to get to the pool. The rabbi, he, he put spitting mud on my, my eyes, and, I, and he told me to wash it off. I'm trying to get to the pool. You say, well, here, let me take your hand. I know where it's at. Come with me. Come with me. Let's go. See, because that pool, there were steps to go down to that pool. Have you ever watched a blind guy try to walk down steps? Probably not, because blind guys are smart enough to not walk down steps. But he didn't do it alone. Say, well, what does this have to do? When God does miracles in our lives, he may do it in ways that we don't understand. But if we act in faith, if we move in faith, if we move in faith, if we move in faith, not with all the whys answered and the hows answered, but we just do what he says to do and trust that he has better in store for us than we could ever have in store for ourselves. And we just begin to start putting one foot in front of the other, feeling our ways. You know what God does? He puts people in your path to help you get to the place where you can see your breakthrough. That's why the church isn't a building. That's why the church ain't you at home watching the live stream or watching Joel Olstein. The church is the people because we get by with a little help from our friends. The last thing, and then I'm out of your way because I just want to, I really felt God put this on my heart, and that's why we have the band up here. That song just so stirred. This is a move. This is a move, not it's going to be a move or it used to be a move, right now, right here, whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, there is a move of God happening in your life. Can you perceive it and embrace it and take a step of faith and move out and say, I'm going to lay hold to everything for which God laid hold of me? Because this passage of Scripture started with a move of Jesus. It started with a move of God. He was passing by. But it ended with a man's move of faith. And that's what brought the breakthrough. Church, maybe you're here today and you feel like he's been spitting on you. He's been rubbing mud in your eyes. Can I tell you something? That's the beginning of your breakthrough. Poop makes plants more fruitful. Fire makes metal stronger and more pure. And you may be here today and feel like God has been crapping on you or God's turned the heat up on you. Can I encourage you this morning? He is doing that to make you better, to make you more pure, to make you more fruitful. Because this didn't happen because of your sin. It happened because God wants to display a work in your life. And if you're here this morning and you say, I want God to move in my life, I want you to stand to your feet because Jesus is passing by. And at this moment, now, he's saying to you, I want you to step. I want you to go to a place maybe you've never been. Maybe you've never been to church before. Maybe you've never heard the gospel preached before. Maybe you never heard about Jesus before. Guess what? This blind guy never saw that pool, but he didn't let what he didn't know keep him from going to get what he always wanted. This is a move. So as we begin to open ourselves up to what God might want to do, sure, it might feel like he, you just hear, oh, I hear that hawker coming. It's going to hit. It's coming. It's just going to be another disappointment. You know, if you exchange the D in disappointment with an H, it turns from disappointment to his appointment. Mm. 
He wants to get some of that D out of your life and put some of that H for him in your life so that your disappointment can become his appointment. This didn't happen because you were bad. This happened because he wants to show just how good he is in your life. You just say, God, we're here for you. Come and do what you do. We are here for you. This is a move. This is a move. We are-